Good morning. Ah, there we are. Much better, much better. You're doing well? You're defrosted? Like, isn't this great? Don't you love snow? Exactly, right? It's about living in Canada, all the seasons. It's a wonderful thing. I was taking some flack this morning, and they were saying, see, most people think I'm sort of a southern city slicker, right? Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. I am, some, I am from so far up north that we came out to hunt. So if you took a line on a map and took my hometown and brought your finger across there, my hometown is above Attawapiskat. So let me just put this right. You're just a bunch of southern city slickers. That's all. But we're glad you're here. And the snow was fantastic, is it not? Yes. And Christmas is coming. Well, we are in our final installment of our series on Continue. And uh, this morning, we are doing, we're going to finish with Continue in Prayer. And uh, so what I want you to do is I want you to take your device or your Bible and uh, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 4. And Colossians in the New Testament. And uh, so if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, what's the next one? First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, right there. You'll find it. And uh, so we're going to be looking at continuing in prayer. But we always start with a morning groaner. Now, somebody sent me this. And to really get the feel for it, you have to see it. So Mama Skunk had two twin babies. One is named in and the other is named out. When out was in, sorry, when out was out, in was in, and when in was out, out was in. But she never got mixed up. And the other forest animals were impressed and asked her what her secret was to never getting confused over her two twin babies. And she answered, in stinks. Let's stand. By the way, the value is not in the laughing. It's in this. Oh. Just so you know. Uh, so I'm reading blue, and you're going to read black. This is what it says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, we love you, but it's more amazing that you love us. And you demonstrated it so generously and extravagantly in, through, and as Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes all that you have accomplished and afforded in Jesus Christ available and applicable in our lives. And so we ask today that by your Spirit that you would help us, give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to comprehend. And then as we leave this place, to live out tangibly in physical, meaningful ways what it means to be missionaries of Jesus Christ. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, continue in prayer. First of all, I want to talk about why do people pray or why pray? What are the reasons? Well, I've got four, and I want to begin with what Eugene Peterson says. Eugene Peterson says that prayer, one of the reasons why we pray is because prayer is our first language. It is our most basic human action. And he writes this, everyone prays, kind of. It is our most human action. At the deep center of our lives, we are connected somehow or other to God. But that deep center often gets buried under the everyday debris of routine and distraction and chatter while we shuffle about out of touch and unaware of our true selves. Then a sudden jolt opens up a crevice, exposing for a moment our bedrock self. And spontaneously, we pray. We pray because it is our... It is our most human response. We're made by and for the voice of God. Listening to and answering that voice is our most characteristic act. We are most ourselves when we pray. The jolt comes variously, a stab of pain, a rush of beauty, an encore of joy, and we, explain, we exclaim, God. The cry can be complaint or curse or praise. No matter, it's prayer. When that deep, deep center of our lives is exposed, our core humanity that biblical writers designate so vigorously as heart, we unthinkingly revert to our first language. We pray. Now, Peterson's point, of course, is that prayer is something that everyone does. We all pray, whether we are Christian or non-Christian, we all pray, and we pray even when we do not realize it, that our most basic instinct is to pray. And even when those who do we, we do not expect to pray, I've been reading a book by Marian, Miriam Greenspan called Healing Through the Dark Emotions. And uh, she says this. She says, my husband Roger found me on my knees in the living room praying aloud. This was totally out of character. I was a secular humanist and a social activist, not a spiritual seeker or a true believer. I had never prayed before. My prayers were wrenched from a fathomless depth, an acknowledgement of my smallness 
in the face of what was coming. And I prayed because I knew I was going to need help. Prayer is intrinsic. It's intrinsic in us, and it naturally comes out of us, whether we are Christian or non-Christian. It is human to pray. The second reason why we pray is it reminds us of how God thinks of us. C.S. Lewis, in Weight of Glory, he says this. He says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. And then he writes, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Prayer reminds us that God is for us, not against us. Prayer reminds us, thirdly, of something else. It reminds us of God's main business. Now, there's a story in Numbers chapters 22 and 23 in the Old Testament. And it's a story that some of you may know and some of you may not. It's the story about a man by the name of Balaam. Now, let me just give you sort of the background to the story, the Coles Notes version, if I can. And this is how it goes. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, are coming out of Egypt. They're at the end of their 40-year wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, And they are about to come up to Jericho, but there's one last obstacle they've got to overcome, and that's the country of Moab. Now, in Moab, there is a king by the name of King Balak, and he is insecure, he is threatened, and he is fearful that these Israelites, these Jews, have never been brought down by military force. Swords and military strategy has never been effective against them. So he goes out and he hires this guy by the name of Balaam, who is described as a prophet. But Balaam is not really a prophet. Balaam is a guy who works spells. Balaam is a guy who knew the magic arts. He's not really a prophet, but he does traffic in spiritual things. Now, as an aside, Balaam is also the guy that is one of the funniest stories in the Bible. And it's quite hilarious when you read it, if you read it for the first time, Balaam is the guy that the donkey talked to. He's going along, and he's on the way, actually, to curse the Jews. I'll come back to that in a minute. And he's going along, and he's going down the road, and all of a sudden, this angel shows up in front of the donkey. The donkey sees the the angel, but Balaam doesn't, and the donkey goes off into the road, Balaam falls off. He gets up, takes a stick, and beats the donkey. Gets back on the donkey, they're going down the road, they go down, they come to a vineyard, and in this vineyard, on either side, there's this fence. And again, this angel shows up, the donkey sees the angel, but Balaam doesn't, and all of a sudden, the donkey moves over and crushes Balaam's foot against the fence, and Balaam again beats the donkey with a stick. Third time, the donkey is going along, and they're going down the road, and the angel shows up again, Balaam doesn't see it a third time, but the donkey does, and then all of a sudden, the donkey just sits down under Balaam, Balaam gets off and beats this donkey, and the donkey says, hey, Balaam. Yeah, that's the funny part. Okay? It'd be like your car talking to you. Hey, Balaam, haven't I been a good donkey? Then why are you beating me? And Balaam has to agree that he's been a good donkey. And then all of a sudden, Balaam's eyes are open and he sees this angel. 
And he understands. But back to our story. So Balaam goes with King Balak of the Moabites, and he decides that he's, so they're going to curse Israel because nothing military or physical will affect the Israelites. So he hires Balaam to curse, to put a, pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. And so they go up to this mountain, and Balaam gets up there, sets up an altar, does all that stuff. And, and as he's beginning to pronounce this curse, to his surprise and to King Balak's surprise, all that comes out of his mouth is blessing rather than cursing. Well, Balak is not happy with that, so he takes Balaam to go to another mountain. They do the same thing. Another mountain, they do the same thing. And a third mountain, they do the same thing. And here's the point of the story. Deeply embedded in that story is this, that God's main business is to bless, not to curse. God's main business with me and with you is to bless and not curse. God's main business with this city, with this province, with this nation, with this world, his main business is to bless, not to curse. It is characteristic of God's ways to bless, not to curse. The fourth reason why we pray is because prayer is a way of looking for more. We pray because it's intrinsic, it's basically, it's characteristic of us as human beings to pray. But we also pray because it's a way of looking for more. Now, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, That no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man or woman has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And that's true in this life and in the next. And when we pray, we take hold of this reality. That God has more prepared than our eye has ever seen, our ear has ever heard, or our minds can ever comprehend. God has more prepared for us in this life and in the life to come than we could ever think or imagine. And prayer is a way of looking for more. More than I can see. More than you can hear. More than we can, can imagine or think. And that's why this text says we need to be watchful. Because when we're watchful, we pay attention. Now, we know, of course, those of you who have been around a while and biblical scholars, you know that the word watchful means to be awake. It means to be alert, to be aware. And if you know the Bible at all, you're probably thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's go back to his disciples and they're asleep. He says, hey, wake up, be alert, stay awake. Or we think of a text like 1 Peter where it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so there is significant spiritual issues around this business of being spiritually aware and spiritually alert and being spiritually attuned and awake. 
But there's another piece of being watchful that's important, and it is this. It means to listen. And this is the second thing that Peterson says about prayer. He says that prayer is, first of all, a means of listening. That listening is hearing with thoughtful attention. Now put your seatbelt on. But the truth is that some of us can't listen because we're just so darn busy. Some of us won't listen because we're afraid of what we might hear. And some of us choose not to listen because we want to go our own way. And presumptuous prayer speaks to God without first listening to him. You see, prayer is not a grocery list. Prayer is not you and I sitting like children on Santa's lap at Christmas and giving Santa the things that we want. Now, don't get me wrong. I have lists. And some of your names are on here and some of your names were on here and have been taken off. But I have lists. But prayer is not just about lists. Prayer is about dialogue. That includes both listening and talking. Listening to what God has to say to us. Listening what God has to say to me. Listening to what God has to say to you. And I can tell you that God speaks. And God will speak, and he desires to speak. And then Paul adds, as usual, this business of thanksgiving. He, He does it all the time. But in the greater scheme of things, when we realize that the nature of what the nature of prayer is, then we can't help but be grateful. Because prayer is our first language. Prayer reminds us of how God thinks of us. Prayer reminds us that God's main business is blessing, not cursing. And prayer is a way of looking for more. Now, in verse 3 of our text, it shifts from prayer in general to a more specific focus. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments about the specific objective of prayer in this text. Now, we know, of course, that there's a historical context to every biblical text. And Paul basically says that he wants the people that he's writing to to support their local apostle, which he is. And he says, pray for us. And then he says, not only pray for us, your local apostle, but we also want you to pray for us. The doors will open so that we'll have opportunity. And then he says this. He says that God may open to us a door for the word, the word of God, to preach it, to declare the mystery of Christ. Now, why is the gospel called the mystery of Christ? Now, this does not mean that the gospel is a puzzle or it is some sort of riddle or some sort of enigma. 
The gospel is a mystery because it is not self-evident. And what I mean by that is this, in order to understand the gospel, God by the Holy Spirit has to help us and has to make it plain to us. In other words, to use biblical language, he has to open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual hearts so we can actually understand and see the mystery of Christ. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, of which all of us were at one point, to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Now this is why prayer is so important. See, perspective is everything. So the priests who are in charge of the accuracy of the scriptures... They're a little concerned because it's been some time now since they've actually looked at the original text, the original script. And um, so they send one of the priests down into the archives. And his job is to make sure that the, the, what the Bible that they currently have lines up perfectly with the original script that they have. The problem is that... The priest has gone so long, they begin to worry. And so they send another priest down to get the guy that they originally sent, sent down. So the second priest goes down. He walks into the archive cellar, and he sees his fellow priest, the first priest, banging his head against the wall, saying the word was celebrate. Perspective is everything, I guess. D.A. Dixon said this. When we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. I am not disposed to undervaluing any of these things in their proper place. But when we rely on prayer, we get what God can do. Now, I've been thinking a lot about Christmas, and you probably have as well, by the way. Just before Christmas, there's a great event taking place in our families. Uh, Jessica is two weeks away from due date. And if you're not thinking I'm counting, you're out of your mind. But I've been thinking a lot about Christmas. And I've been thinking a lot about Christmas in, in context or in relation in regard to this text. Now, we have made the observation before that this time of year is the most missional time of the year. Right? That's what this season is about. People are more open to issues of faith and to the gospel and to who Jesus is and to the good news more than any other time of year. 
And I think that this text says something to us in this regard. I think this text actually encourages you and I to pray for each other so that God may open a door in our lives so that we may be able to share and that God would create opportunities for us to speak. Now, this is what our text is telling us to do in our context. Doors will open and opportunities be created for us to demonstrate in practical, meaningful ways of how to show the love of Jesus. And on top of that, opportunities and doors will open for us to share the gospel of Christ to people who don't know. Or people who do know and their faith is gone underground. So back to listening for a minute. That during this crazy, busy time of year, that we listen. That we listen. Listen. For doors opening. For opportunities being created. It may be in a conversation over a cup of coffee while we're out at this high social time of year. It may be at a dinner with family. It may be shopping. And while we're interacting with the retail staff, it may be a willingness for somebody to come to church. It may be that you might come upon someone who finds this the loneliest time of the year. It may be when we meet somebody, know somebody, who's grieving and this is their first Christmas without that loved one. Maybe it's with somebody who can't afford economically all that is expected at this time of year. And the list goes on and it goes on of doors that will open. And opportunities that will be created that are as varied and as different, as unique as you and I. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. That God is speaking people right now and he's going to be speaking to people over this Christmas season people that we think God can't be talking to them the next thing I know is that God loves them whoever they are more than you and I could ever and the third thing I know is this 
take the most, take the person you think is the furthest from God. And what I know is that God is in their journey because he loves them. And because of that, listen, listen. For God, as he opens doors, as he creates opportunities, surely our involvement in our community and in our neighborhoods has to be more than just us opening up the doors of this building a couple times a week. He has called us to be missionaries in every school, in every place of business, in every bar, in every club, in every neighborhood, in every home, in every relationship. Does that make sense? Now, the third thing is, with all that said, is there's some practical things we need to talk about out of this text. The first one is this, that we need to walk the walk and talk the talk. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of the time. So what he's saying is this, is that we need to let our talk and our walk be consistent. In other words, put negatively, let's not be hypocritical. Demonstrate the love of Christ practically. Help somebody, meet a need, be a friend, talk to somebody. And I want to say this, and you're going to be offended, so put your seatbelt on. If you're not, if, let me back up. If we are not going to walk the walk and talk the talk, then for the love of God, please do not tell them or let on that you're a Christian. And please do not tell them that you belong to Glad Tidings Church. We've got enough problems. But have conversations. Have dialogues about the good news. Talk and listen. Talk and listen. Don't preach. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit. And as we say in our family, don't overhelp. But help somebody. Do something. And then he says this. He says, making the most of every, making best use of the time. Now, many of us, if not most of us, have heard the Latin phrase carpe diem. And most of us know that it means seize the day. But maybe what we don't know is that it also means this. It means to live in the present. It's used as an invocation to live in the present or to not worry about the future, but to live in the moment. It is the act. Carpe diem is the act of living in the moment. It is the act of living in the present. And once again, this Christmas season, we have a moment. We have a five or six week window where people are more open and more receptive to the good news than they normally are. And we need to live in the present. We need to live in the moment. We need to seize the opportunity. And then the last thing Paul says is, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know 
how you ought to answer somebody. So in other words, saturate what we do these next six weeks and what we say with grace and with salt. You know the old adage, right? You can say anything to anyone depending on how you say it. And here's what Peter says. And with this, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Peter says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And here it is. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Now what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just think for a moment about your life, your family, your friends, and think for a moment what's going to happen over the next six weeks. What's the... What's leading up to and what's Christmas going to look like for you? I just want you to ponder that. I want to pray for you first. And then I want to say some things to you. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the living Christ. And now we ask that the Holy Spirit would continue to work in our hearts, and in our minds. Father, you are going to open doors. And you're going to create opportunities over these next six weeks. Because people are more open to conversations about faith, about Jesus, than at any other time of the year. So Father, right now, would you bring to our minds, to our thoughts, the names of people and their faces. Let their faces be brought to the image of our minds. With our eyes closed. I want you to think about your family and a bunch of us in the room have family that are not Christians. Or friends, neighbors, business associates, people we work beside, go to school beside, live beside, and friends. And I'm going to ask Pastor Scott and the worship team to just play and sing a song. And what I want us to do is I want us to take these next couple of moments and let God bring a name, the image of somebody's face or faces or names of somebody that he's already speaking to.
He's already working in. And let that face, let that name be brought up by the Holy Spirit in your mind.